moving past the tradition of deny and defend and implementing a transparent strategy during medical errors disclosure has many benefits. So let's talk with Anna Peterson, Director of Nursing at UPMC Hammett, and Joanne Sorensen, Director of Quality, Patient Safety, and Patient Experience at UPMC Chautauqua. This is Today in Nursing Leadership, a podcast from the American Organization for Nursing Leadership. I'm Bill Klaproth. Anna and Joanne, thank you so much for your time. It's great to talk with you. So Anna, implementing a transparent approach following a medical error positively impacts patient and provider satisfaction as well as litigation risk. AHRQ published the Candor Toolkit to support transparency. However, implementation remains elusive. Why is that? Well, it's a really good question. The candor, exactly as you say, which is communication and optimal resolution published by AHRQ, disseminated their model in 2016, yet it it has not been universally embraced nor implemented and managed in organizations. And we have historically been deny and defend in hospitals and facilities when mistakes happen to our patients. We didn't know how to handle them. And that includes C-suite, hospital leaders, nurse leaders. Many believed that disclosing these errors and walking your way through those errors is the purview of the physician. And I know from a nursing standpoint, there's been a historical lack of knowledge lack of skill, what words do I use, and even fear moving past these embedded traditions of deny and defend. Let's talk about that tradition of deny and defend and moving past that. Joanne, moving past deny and defend holds promise for collaboration of the healthcare team, patients, and families. So how do you engage those three groups, the healthcare team, patients, and families, in coming up with a more transparent culture and solutions? Well, I'm going to talk about a specific incident where that happened, and it was very powerful in my own life and in my the life of the nursing staff at a UPMC facility about two years ago now. It started with an event that happened to a patient, and we have permission from this patient and her family to tell her story over and over anywhere we can. In fact, they encourage us to tell it as often as possible. And that patient's name was Catherine Aim Newman. We've since named a protocol for for Kate. And it started with a UPMC intermediation program, which was designed to resolve conflicts without cost between providers and families. It's you use a, a neutral mediator to find common ground. And we're really trying to accomplish during these events how we meet the needs of our families and patients for an apology. Maybe not necessarily that you agree completely with their perspective of what happened, but the apology should be a truthful and honest apology about something happening. An explanation of what happened, or even if you're not sure what happened to cause the event that occurred, that you will keep the family and patient updated. And then an assurance that you will prevent like events in the future. Now, we took that very seriously, the intermediation, and agreed with the family that we needed to make some changes. We realized that 
our approach to the care of non-ambulatory patients, which is what Kate was, was not as comprehensive as it needed to be. She developed pressure ulcers in our organization, which really broke the hearts of our nurses. She was a long-term multiple sclerosis patient, but she never let that define her life. In fact, she volunteered at the hospital for us many years, and that was her contribution. She believed in herself and envisioned that change was possible. What became very important for us is when we had a vibrant shared governance council that became our vector for changes. And when I say a vibrant shared governance, I'm talking about nursing councils at Northwest. This was a nursing issue more so than a physician-related issue. And the councils, about 30 different nurses, met with Kate's family directly. They listened comprehensively to the family's needs. Together, we formulated a beautiful protocol that is still ongoing at that organization and has been shared with other organizations and spread. So by involving everyone and listening to one another, caring and listening really became the vector for change in that, in our organization. Yeah, it's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. So it seems like there's a lot of benefit to fostering this transparent culture. Anna, why should nurse leaders and hospitals and health systems really push and move towards this new transparent culture? We can look to the publications coming out of AHRQ as well as the hospitals themselves who participated in developing or implementing that CANDOR model. Imagine that the grant took place in 2009 but ARC did not publish the toolkit until 2016. And part of the publications that came out demonstrated monumental changes within the organizations. For example, the University of Illinois Medical Center at Chicago, there was a 52% increase in incident reporting, 96% increase in peer reviews, 91% increase in patient consults, as well as the self-insurance fund balance moved from a $30 million deficit to a $40 million surplus. So it affects not only the staff, the patients, their families, but certainly on a level that intrigues C-suite and is bottom dollar line speaks to hospitals about the importance of implementing that model within their organization. That is amazing. So the stats then really back this up and the bottom line too, as you were mentioning, Anna. So Joanne, if you could wrap this up for us then, what recommendations do you have for nurse leaders on implementing a transparent strategy during medical errors disclosure? Well, I think first and foremost, often nurses are not aware of the policies of their organization even related to disclosure. There's just a lot of confusion. And disclosure policies should create a mechanism for nurses and others to participate in the process and to raise concerns, just as Anna has indicated with her statistics. It makes a huge difference organizationally. Nurse leaders, we know, have a key role in disclosing processes and should have training as disclosure coaches for their staff it's scary when we brought all of the nurses together with the family, wondering would they be offended? How would they respond to the family members? Would they try again to deny and defend? But again, that training is, is critically important for nurse leaders 
to become disclosure coaches. Thirdly, the team disclosure process development is needed to ensure that the whole team knows what is being disclosed. Often nurses have an ethical dissonance, I, I would say, when they're unsure of what's been said and what they're allowed to say to patients. So again, having a team disclosure process that's well thought out is critically important. It certainly seems like there's a lot to gain here, not only for the healthcare team, the patients and families, but also for the hospital and or healthcare system. Anna and Joanne, this has really been fascinating. Thank you so much for talking with us about this today. We appreciate it. Thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thank you. This is a pleasure. That's Anna Peterson and Joanne Sorensen. And for more information, please visit AONL.org. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and check out the full podcast library for topics of interest to you. This is Today in Nursing Leadership. Thanks for listening.